The second half of Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee is just as sad as the first. This section of the book is chapters 8 through 12, 7 through 12. Chapter 7 is called The Only Good Indian is a Dead Indian. And if that doesn't explain how sad this section of the book is going to be, then I don't know what else will. Um, this chapter shows the story of Red Cloud um, and the dog soldiers. The dog soldiers had heard about Red Cloud's successful fights with the soldiers in Powder River and decided that if Red Cloud's fighters could do it, then they could too. So the Southern Cheyennes and the Arapahos would try to fight to hold their country between Smoky Hill and the Republican. Um, they met with General Hancock, and he said that the white men would proceed with the railroads and come to the West, whether the Indians liked it or not. And, that, and I quote, The white man is coming out here so fast that nothing can stop him. And he compares them to a prairie fire, a prairie on fire in a high wind. So, against the chief's wishes, Hancock said that he was going to meet Roman Nose at the Cheyenne camp. But they were scared for Hancock to come into the town because of the young do dog soldiers who were already rowdy. And they weren't scared of fighting back. So they were scared of the dog soldiers shooting Hancock if they see him coming in. Um, they were scared because of the massacre at Sand Creek. And they were scared for the women and children. Just in case something happened. So Hancock agreed to not coming to the camp. And just meeting them outside. But Roman knows the fight the warrior that he wanted to see so bad wouldn't come. One of the chiefs, Bull Bear, lied to Hancock and said that Roman Nose was held up by a buffalo hunt, but Hancock got angry that Roman Nose wouldn't meet him, so he decided he would come into the camp anyway until Roman Nose would meet him. Roman Nose, angry at this, declared, he would ride out alone and kill this Hancock. Roman Nose definitely had a temper and he was hot-headed, especially because the women and children were in danger. So they sent the women and children on ponies northward. And so, Han Hancock wanted the chiefs and warriors to bring the women back. He was arrogant about it. He said that he expects them to do so instead of asking them. And with all the history, they were scared of what he would do. So they didn't bring the women back like they were ordered, even though they said they would. And Hancock, angry at this, burned their village. Um, the destruction of Black Kettle's camp and the murder of him was one of the most sad things I read in the book. Um, Black Kettle, who was more gentle, 
tried to gesture for peace, but he was murdered, and so was his wife. Another part in the chapter that stood out was that it was easier for soldiers to kill everyone they saw, including women and children, than to separate them first, even though that's what they were told to do. Chapter 8, The Rise and Fall of Don Hagawa. This chapter was inspiring because it shows Don Hagawa, who brought himself up from just being a normal Native American man to actually being the commissioner of Indian Affairs. This was surprising to me that he actually worked in the government for President Grant, who he was a close friend with. Um, he first tried becoming a lawyer, but they wouldn't let him because he was a Native American. So then he just tried his hardest to work his way up and that's how he ended up as the commissioner. So the Big Horn Association, who was for the Manifest Destiny, this was a quote that stood out to me in this chapter. It's about Manifest Destiny. It says, the rich and beautiful valleys of Wyoming are destined for the occupancy and sustenance of the Anglo-Saxon race. The wealth that for untold ages has lain hidden beneath the snow-capped summits of our mountains has been placed there by Providence to reward the brave spirits whose lot it is to compose the advanced guard of civilization. The Indians must stand aside or be overwhelmed by the ever-advancing and ever-increasing tide of emigration. The destiny of the Aborigines is written in characters not to be mistaken. The same inscrutable arbiter that decreed the fall, downfall of Rome has pronounced the doom of extinction among the red man of America. This quote stood out to me so much and I had to say it was because of just how much they thought they deserved this area just because of their race and that they think that they're better than the quote-unquote red man of America. Thankfully, though, the end of Don Higawa's story is a positive one. He isn't murdered or anything. And he does help the Native Americans a lot by being the commissioner. Then we have chapter nine, um, Conquise and the Apache Guerrillas. Conquise was a very strong-willed man. He didn't take anything from the white men. He worked for what he wanted and didn't listen to what the white men wanted him to do. Um, this was a very good trait for him as he would be pushed a lot by the white men. So, one of the stories in this chapter shows that he was going to be held captive by white soldiers. So, he manages to escape and then executes white soldiers in revenge for being captured by white men. Um, but in retaliation... The soldiers killed three of his relatives. 
Kankisei and Mangas, his father-in-law, waged war against the whites in this chapter. Um, it's very sad because Mangas tried to end the war after years of it because he was tired and didn't see it going anywhere. But the soldiers tortured and murdered him. But they said that he was trying to escape and they killed him. But that was wrong. They actually tortured him. So there are bl there's blame on both sides because Apaches were very violent towards the whites also. They didn't just let them do what they wanted. They actually tried to get revenge on anyone they saw sometimes. So um, Kankise was always strong until the end and stood up for what he believed in. And this showed because once he died, his people were lost and they were either resigned to just being on reservations or they fled to Mexico. Chapter 10 is the orde ordeal of Captain Jack. This chapter talks about California Indians for the first time. Um, D. Brown describes them as being extremely, extremely gentle people. They didn't even have warrior chiefs like a lot of the other Indians did. They let the Spaniards take advantage of them. And then once gold was discovered there, the white settlers came in and did the same thing to them. They took advantage and wanted to exterminate them so that they weren't in the way. The Maddox tribe was, they tried to move them out of Oregon and they responded with ambushes. Um, Captain Jack, who is the title of this chapter, was a Madoc leader. After they were pushed into reservations, they were starving, so he wanted to go south. He was ordered to come back. And he tried for peace, but ultimately failed. The thing that stands out the most in this chapter is that he was convicted of murder and he wasn't given a proper trial, which isn't surprising considering that this happened to many of the Native Americans. They were basically murdered because no one really cared about what was true or wasn't true and they just wanted the Native Americans dead. And this is a very common theme So chapter 11 is called The War to Save the Buffalo. This chapter, we see General Custer again. We obviously knew that he was brutal because he orchestrated a massacre before. And then a Kiowa chief, his name was Santana, Set Anta was sentenced to death without a fair trial again. Another person like that. But his life was saved because the governor didn't want war with the Kiwas because he knew how much it would cost. And he was just sentenced to life in prison. 
more war happens in this chapter. Um, so in this chapter, Lone Wolf's nephew dies. And as he goes to find his nephew's body, him and a bunch of other soldiers find massive amounts of slaughtered buffalo. And in the book, it's said that they were killed because they wanted things to be harder for the Indians because that's how they ate. And this surprised me because it just shows how cruel the settlers were. They had no use for the buffalo, yet they murdered them just to make things harder for the Indians. It's really sad to me to think about. It also makes me wonder how the Indians must have reacted to see this because they cared so much about the buffalo. It was how they lived. And just knowing that the white men would murder them just to make their lives harder. Innocent animals that they could have used to eat. Another sad thing in this chapter was that all the great leaders of the chapter died. Much like all the other powerful Indians in the rest of the book. Once there's a powerful Indian, they must die because with them, the white men were threatened and they couldn't get what they wanted, which was a big problem for the book, for their history. The last chapter in this section is called The War for the Black Hills. The Black Hills were in South Dakota and it was very important for the Indians. It was basically where they practiced their religion, stuff like that. And before, the government didn't see anything important about the Black Hills, so they just gave it to the Indians like nothing. Um, so they, the Black Hills was protected by the treaty. But then, of course, the white men didn't really listen to the treaties when they decide they want something. What they wanted, which they found in the Black Hills, was gold. So, apparently, if there's something that the white men want, treaties don't matter anymore. So, droves of white settlers started coming into the Black Hills for the gold. And again, General Custer is back. He has soldiers that come into the Black Hills wanting gold. They're called the 7th Cavalry. So the white the Indians weren't going to go out without a fight. They refused to give up their land even when they were completely overpowered by the white men and General Custer's army. So one of the major events was General Custer bringing his army to a large settlement called Little Bighorn. During this time, the soldiers killed many women and children, even the, before they could flee. This obviously angered the Indians, 
and they fought back. They tried their best. They ended up killing Custer and many other soldiers. Because of this, it was called the Bighorn Massacre. And this made the white people even more motivated to see Indians as bad people. And they were treated as prisoners and that they were bad, like all of the Indians. Um, this part of the book is pretty, pretty angry. It makes you angry when you read it because it's just so there's no justice for them. They were basically seen as animals and they were taken advantage of. And no matter how much tragedy, tragedy they faced, they were still seen as the bad guys just because of the color of their skin and because they were in giving the white people what they wanted easily. Um, again, also in this chapter, there's the story of how the book got its name, Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee. Um, the story came from Crazy Horse, who obviously angered by the events, was convicted, not convicted, but he had murdered a white soldier or he had been murdered by a white soldier. No one really knows if it was self-defense or not, but he had lunged at someone and that person killed him. No one really knows if it was why he did it or anything, but they buried him near a creek called Wounded Knee. And I feel like this is an awesome name for the book because it just shows how hard it was for the Native Americans. <laughs> he was upset. His life was hard. And he could have just been lashing out or who knows, maybe... The person he lashed out at was trying to hurt him. And maybe it wasn't self-defense. You would never know because the Native Americans were treated so bad that they could have been defending themselves, but they wouldn't get a fair trial. So who knows? But that was my review for those chapters of the book. I will see you in my next podcast.